0: Hey, um, uh, good to be back. Welcome. Uh, those of you at home, glad to have you as well. We're going to jump uh, back into our series. I, I appreciated uh, Brent doing something a little bit different on Mother's Day and, and stepping out of the series uh, in Hosea. Um, but we're chapter 10 today, and I want to hit the ground running because, uh, well, frankly, I'm excited about it. So, uh, Hosea is our, is our book, for those of you who may be joining us first time or can't remember. Uh, God came to Hosea and said, hey, I, wanna, I want you to marry somebody that's going to be unfaithful to you, and I want you to see what it's like to be faithful to the unfaithful. And then uh, two chapters in, that kind of story ends, and God starts speaking through Hosea. Um, and it's really, it's really an interesting uh, look at a bunch of things. It almost looks like, though, every chapter seems the same. Dark and ominous and Israel's in trouble and God's upset and the whole thing. Uh, but it's very fun for me. I hope for you, um, and the joy will grow, when you find things in the chapters and in passages that are a little different and get your attention um, the the hidden nuggets, the things that sneak up on you. You ever had something sneak up on you? You, you like surprises? I don't, <laughs> right? And I'm the worst. Like I'm coming around a corner and somebody, Wah! and I just I lose it, right? All my uh, hormones go crazy and I'm freaking out and I'm sweating for half an hour and the whole thing. Uh, I don't like surprises. I, I like calm, steady, predictable. And so when, when all of a sudden, like, everything's clear outside and then here come the clouds and bam, it's raining. It's like, wait a minute, where did that come from? We lived in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas for three years and we used to always joke, hey, if you don't like the weather, wait 20 minutes. And there was parts of that that were great and there were other parts of it that were super frustrating. You're planning a fun day and you're dressed a certain way. And then all of a sudden, here comes the rain. And I'm walking through, I was very new. Uh, it was early in my time there within the first few months. And I'm walking through the parking lot. We're uh, coming back from lunch. And I'm with Brian, uh, Brian Crowley, one of the great guys that I get to work with. And he, he and I both worked on youth staff there. And we're walking in from our lunch from the parking lot. And he turns to me he says, Smell that? Smell what? We won't go there, jokes between two guys asking if they smell things, right? Um, I said, what do you mean? What do you smell? He says, smells like rain. I said, what are you talking about? Now, I I admit, I confess, I'm a California boy, right? Uh, Rain is this random thing that you see in movies, right? Right? he says, no, it smells like rain. I said, no, it doesn't. He says, no, like, can can you smell the, I mean, look in the sky. There's no clouds, Brian. He's like, no, but you can smell it. There's a certain smell to it. Like, take it in. Maybe you'll figure it out. And it's the weirdest thing, because over the next two and a half years, I kept trying to pay attention, and now I can tell, sometimes when rain's coming, I can smell it before it gets there. Anybody ever had that experience? And I want that because I don't want to be surprised. When all of a sudden the rain shows up, no umbrella, you're in a t-shirt, shorts, and you brought flip-flops, right? Uh, I want to be prepared for what's coming, and many times being prepared for what's coming, like rain, is something you do now. Now, why did I tell that story? Well, because if you look at your outline, top of it says Hosea chapter 10, and the title is "Smell the Rain." We're going to see a couple things in this passage that reminded me of this and the actual word rain. Uh, a couple other things that allude to it, and we'll get to that there, um, but let's see, let's see what God has for us in this passage this morning. Let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Lord, thanks for this morning, and thanks for your word. I thank you for your guidance over me and things like family and being able to be part of special whether it's a wedding or a Mexico or a day camp, a small group, just being around people that care about you and care about each other. Pray, Lord, that we would see all of those things, all good things and care, love come from you. May we see that this morning in your word. May it clarify who your son was is and will continue to be. And we pray in His name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Uh, Hosea chapter 10, uh, verse one, here we go. Israel is a luxuriant vine and yields its fruit. I, I just got finished telling you that oh the, the chapters are all dark. but all of a sudden here, Israel is a luxuriant vine. Does that sound pretty good? Do, do you want an average vine? I have a buddy, uh, Mark Campbell. Some of you have met him. He likes to say, I don't want to do average church. Right? Um, if you're going to do a vine, you want the grapevine. Great, G-R-E-A-T, not grape vine. Great, mean, G R E A T, not G R A P E. It could be a great grape vine, but then you're getting into tongue twisters. Um, and you want it to produce, yielding its fruit. Uh, what's the picture being painted of Israel here? Super positive? Okay, let's see where it goes. Uh, The more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. Hmm. He's uh, productive, lots of fruit. Let's build some more altars to God. Hopefully. Is that where this is going? I'm getting a little nervous. As his country improved, he improved his pillars. We got... uh, lowercase h's there, so can't be uppercase his, capital, talking about God's pillars. What's happening here? Well, beginning of verse 2 is going to give us a hint. Their heart is false. So what happened? They're doing really well, and instead of building altars to God, who are they building their altars to? Something else. Probably pagan gods from the north, the things that have come in from uh, the north and the east. And the more they do well, the more they turn to those things. I mean, who knows? Maybe they had an altar to the vine. Maybe they had an altar to the weather. Maybe they had an altar to the rain. Right? Right? And then what they do is they say, well, well, let's do more of that. Let's build more altars, and we're going to improve our pillars, the things that we think hold us up. We're going to build more of our stuff. Now, that can sound good if you're a general contractor. If you're thinking in terms of spiritual, building your own pillars has a negative tinge to it, right? Because the question is, um, where's God in this? And here's now a fun one. Chapter 10, we get something we've never had before in Hosea up to this point. Up to this point in the book of Hosea, the first nine chapters, God has been talking to Hosea, to the people, back and forth. You know what's going to happen in chapter 10? God doesn't say anything. What do you mean God's not in chapter 10? Oh, he's there. Hosea is talking about God now rather than God talking. Ooh, that's rough. What happens when God's no longer speaking or you can't hear him? What if uh, you feel so distant from him that all, all of a sudden now the most you feel like you can get is to hear someone else talk about him? Hey, side note, that's one of the great things about church. You come to church, you can go to a small group, you can go uh, to a Bible study, uh, men, 7 o'clock, Monday night, quirkies. Mm -hmm. Sorry, was that a commercial? (laughs) Um, And you can get around, no matter how bad you're feeling, distant, abandoned, frustrated, nerd, whatever's going on, you can be around people that are talking about him. That's what happens here in chapter 10. Uh, Hosea starts to talk about God, and we, we see no quotes from God, really. It's kind of interesting. Uh, their heart is false, verse 2. Now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars. Well, they must not be the Lord's altars, right? And destroy their pillars. Why would God do that? What, God, <laughs> let's use a word we never use. Why would God thwart you? Why would he stop your stuff? Like, So when somebody says, sort, I have to say, oh, what's that mean? It means they stop your stuff. Why would God stop your stuff? Oh, because my stuff ain't no good. <laughs> hey, there's a good reason, right? And if you don't have that stuff, those altars, those pillars, let's call them distractions, the odds go up of you turning and paying attention to him which is what we're going to see in a few verses here. He's going to say, it's time for something. You're going to get excited when you get there. Um, For they will say, we have no king. Oh, that sounds familiar. For we do not fear the Lord. We don't have a king or we have a king and we don't like him. Oh, we have a president, but he's not my president. Okay, that's been said over the last 20 years by both parties. Right? Right? Don't raise your hand if you're guilty. okay? We're protecting the identity of the guilty here. It says we have no king, whether they're, they're a fixture or we've, uh, we've removed them. And then it says, and but we do not fear the Lord. The king would have been something that God put in place and we don't care about God, so we don't care about what He's put in place. Could that apply to more than just a king or a leader? Could it apply to your family, your spouse? Um, what dad said, the church, a goofy pastor. Yeah, all the above, right? Um, I don't care about God, so I don't care what he's doing or not doing with my body. That's a rough place to be. But the familiarity of that phrase, I want us to see. Mm, uh, for they say, we have no king. Where'd you hear that before? Somebody say, First Samuel. Oh, yes, absolutely. Good job. I know there's a few people at home that got it before I said it. Uh, In 1 Samuel, way back, there's this this phrase. The people were upset. All the other countries have kings. We don't have a king. Who's going to protect us? And God's going, duh, I'm right here. You don't need a king. And the people, out of their fallen state, Demanded from God. We don't have a king. We want a king. Give us a king. We want to be like all the country, other countries. And God said, you don't want a king? Yes, we do. No, because when you get a king, here's what you've won. Open door number two. He's going to take all your kids. He's going to put them to war. He's going to take all your money. He's going to take your women, and he's going to marry them, or he's going to marry them off. You're going to have now rules, and da-da-da. You're going to have all these things. How much do you want to bid on that showcase? You don't want a king. And they said, Oh, that may all make sense to you. God, we don't care. Give us a king. And here enters Saul, David, and a line of trouble, a people that God tried to put in place and tried to work with them and tried to show them. The great phrase from that passage. Oh, that they would have accepted me as their king. Loose translation. God's meant to be our king. But now we're getting to the place where uh, we're not even talking to God and say, Give us a king, because we don't even care about the king and we don't care about the God who would put him in place. And by the way, a king, oh, what could he do for us? Everything's flipped. It's been several generations, and, and now they no longer see a king as a good thing to keep the nation together so that we could be whole and maybe follow God and the whole thing, an instrument of God. We don't even see it that way anymore. Now we're doubting the instruments of God. Oh, how sad. Good thing we don't do that today. What? We doubt the instruments of God in all kinds of ways. We doubt that the rain's coming. Now, California, that's a safe doubt. Right? Oh, it won't rain for a couple more months. Right? The drought of 2022. It's like the drought of 2021 every year, right? It's just new year. What if we started to trust his pillars, the things that he puts in place, whether it's a king or something else, or a president? Wow, did we just say that? Um, a child, a spouse, a co-worker, a job, a boss, a bill, an opportunity. What about um, a directive? When God says, this is the way sex works. Do it this way. Don't do it any other ways. Don't twist it. Don't decorate it. Don't... Uh, Veer off. No, this is the way it works. Then it'll be good. You'll be okay. Trust me. This is one of my instruments. Oh, and by the way, money. This is how money works. And don't use it for this and don't use it for that and don't store up for yourself, but learn how to invest. This is how money works. Use it for these types of things. If you do, it will go well for you. If you don't, gonna have to tear it down. Here's how education works. Here's how relationships work. Here's how emotions and heart work. How about we start to see more things as his instruments, as his pillars, and then say, okay, now bring the rain? What if we were in a position where we were looking and trusting? That we were a luxuriant vine, capable of producing a bunch of stuff, and we were doing it to the level that we could smell the rain coming. That would be so great. They utter mere words, verse 4, with empty oaths they make covenants, so judgment springs up like poisonous weeds. Um, some, the, you might know the phrase Wormwood is the phrase here, poisonous weeds, wormwoods. That's a phrase they use for uh, end times. Hell, damnation. It's one of the words in the descriptor, right? Uh, Judgment springs up like poisonous weeds. It grows, and it's negative. In the furrows of the field, the inhabitants of Samaria tremble for the calf of Beth-Avon, Samaria being the capital of the north. Its people mourn for it, so do its idolatrous Priests, those who rejoiced over it and over its glory, for it has departed from them. They had some incident up north. This is a vague reference. We don't really know all of what it was. What we know is there was some calf probably of worship and something didn't go well and they all freaked out and the whole thing. And he said, What what are you? Why are you surprised by this? I told you this stuff doesn't work. Stop it. Uh, The thing itself shall be carried to Assyria as tribute to the great king. Another reference, uh, which this apparently happened, but there's a couple, like three different kings that might be in reference here. But great king here is a reference to who's in control of Assyria. And you see no capitals there. That's because the translators would say, no, we're not talking about great king like God. Or great king like who he has in charge of Judah and Israel, no great king would be the one that's taken over everything. And the more you tribute to him, the more he will take in tribute. And Israel shall be, uh, Ephraim shall be put to shame. Israel shall be ashamed of his idol. I think that maybe this calf up north, whatever it was, was placed there by this Assyrian king, and and. Uh, Hosea's statement here is, and you ran after it. You're like the people at the bottom of of Mount Sinai when the Ten Commandments come down and it took too long and so you just built something for for yourself at the base of the mountain rather than ascending and find out what's at the top of the mountain. What a great picture for us as humans in our relationship with the Lord. Why would we settle for the base of the mountain when we could ascend and uh, enjoy its heights and what God has for us there. Samaria's king shall perish, verse seven, like a twig on the face of the waters. <laughs> a little twig on the water, where does it go? Nowhere. Or if it's in a river, it just gets carried away, right? Has no purpose. The high places of Avon, or Aven, the sin of Israel shall be destroyed. Thorn and thistle shall grow up on their al- altars, and they shall say to the mountains. What are they gonna say to the mountains? Let's, let's do an interactive portion of the morning. All of you at home, you got to say this out loud, okay? Otherwise, we're going to cut your feed, right? I'll read the first thing, and then you do in the quotes, all right? They shall say to the mountains, cover us. and to the hills, fall on, fall on us. I want you to remember those two phrases, because we're going to get come back to them in a little bit. Um, but what are they saying? They're saying, I need to take cover in the mountains. Maybe the mountains can provide for me. I'm going to say to the hills, uh, fall on us. Why? Because we want to be protected from all this destruction and the things that are coming at us. Uh, Where are they turning? Are they turning to God? They're they're turning to mountains, right? But they want a covering. They want something to come down on them. Let that sit there for a minute. We're going to come back to it. It sounds like something else that's very... um, Close in our near future. From the days of Gibeah, you have sinned, O Israel. There they have continued. Shall not the war against the unjust overtake them in Gibeah? You say, well, how do you think this is goes? When I please, I will discipline them. What, what, what kind of statement is that, that God's making there? When I please, I will discipline them. You know, you, how you say something with tone and inflection can very much change the meaning, right? Which is why I try to tell people as much as possible. Please don't email me. Please don't text me. Call me. I want to hear tone and inflection. And even better, let's meet. Because then I could see your face. Now, tell your face that you're happy before we meet. But your face can tell you stuff too, right? Well, and I please all discipline them what's that sound like man eh, whatever yeah it's an afterthought i got 10 things on the list ahead of that i'll get to that later when i please i will discipline them what's that sound like so is, is something in question here right when i please i will discipline them that's how i said it originally this morning right why did i pick that tone and inflection Because you do everything right, Scott. <laughs> no, uh, because of the passage and the things that are being said, everything leading up to this feels like the people are doing what they please. And I think here God is saying, if we're trying to measure we, how we do things at the pleasure of an entity, Make no mistake, we do things at my pleasure. And when I'm ready, I will discipline them. When you're off course, you're exactly that, off course. You could justify it and talk about it and worm around it and find a workaround or something like that. But at some point, you have to take ownership of what's really going on. A couple weeks ago, I talked about um, the idea of reality. One of the greatest things that God does for us is reveal reality. I think that's what he's doing here. You ever seen an argument? Oh, of course. Have Have you seen an argument where the two people arguing are talking about the other person, and it's just lobbing bombs? Back and forth, oh, yeah, well, you did this. Oh, huh, that's because you did that. Oh, yeah, but have you seen your own face? Oh, no, it's not as bad as yours. You know, all this goofiness, and it's always directed at the other person. What's missing from that discussion? What's missing from it? Taking ownership, responsibility. I did do that. My intention was, I am sorry I want to do better next time. I hope that we can resolve. Those are all about me. I was watching an argument the other day, and I almost started giggling, which, by the way, is a bad idea. When people are heated and you're off to the side and you start to giggle, it doesn't go well, right? But the reason, because I started noticing, it was, they're talking about them, and they're talking about them. And it's just, oh, it's ping pong. I'm wondering who's going to finally break the set and rea- realize and communicate what is reality on their side of the court. You know, we love this. Because once you start taking responsibility, guess whose side of the court the balls on. You ever heard that phrase? Well, you know, the ball's on their side of the court. Really? How sad? See, it's like this uh, concept. I was talking to a coach that we were hiring um, for the soccer club and I said, tell me your philosophy, your, your philosophy of play, your strategy. He says, "I want the ball." I said, okay, so explain this a little like, Elaborate. I said, I want the ball. When we have the ball, I want to keep the ball. When they have the ball, I want us to go get the ball so that we have the ball. I want the ball. I said, okay, I like that. Why do you like that? Because when I have the ball, I'm in control. Wow. Now, that can be good or bad, right? If you're off, you don't want the ball in your court because you get in trouble, right? Those of us that are Christians... Whose court do we want the ball in? God's. When I please, I will discipline them. I think there's a more fun way to say that phrase. Tone and inflection. When I please, I will discipline them. Nonchalant. Is this, am I disconnected? Maybe God didn't want me to say that. <laughs> no. um, when I please... I will discipline them. No emotion, it's not dismissive. I'm not angry, I'm not necessarily trying to prove a point. I'm simply saying, here is how reality works. When I please, I'll discipline them, right? The nation shall be gathered against them when they are bound up for their double iniquity. They, were, um, they failed in the past, and now they're continuing to fail. That's the double iniquity. Ephraim was a trained calf that loved to thresh. no, no, Are we back to, sounds good? I think we're back to verse one. Remember? Verse one, a virtuous vine that produces its fruit. We're back to, we're a trained calf that loved to thresh. If you're a trained calf and you love to thresh, um, don't say that on the street. No one will know what that means. Translate it into modern-day language. In fact, let's do that right now. If you're a trained calf that loves to thresh, what does that actually mean about you? I like to work. I'm good at working. I have some skills, I have learned some stuff, and I can accomplish some things. Is that a pretty good phrase? Absolutely. Ephraim was a trained calf that loved to thresh, and I spared her fair neck. I kept her going, cause she knew what to do and she was trained to do it and she was good at it. But I will put Ephraim to the yoke. It's time to get back to work. You see that I've underlined this in my personal notes. Every once in a while on a Sunday, you get the see behind the curtain, right? Uh, let's go next next phrase. We're gonna put him to the yoke. Judah must plow. Jacob must harrow for himself. We're gonna. Uh, we're gonna get the yoke, that means I'm you're attached to pulling something, probably a plow. You're gonna use that plow to then harrow, you're gonna turn over the soil. It's time to get back to work, Israel. Stop building your own altars and your own pillars and your own things and start figuring out what are his instruments and how can we bring those back. So for yourselves, that's more work, right? Sow for yourselves what? righteousness. Reap steadfast love. He's using all these farming f- phrases, right? We're going to sow this. We're going to reap love. Break up your fallow ground. You have a pattern, and your pattern has developed um, ground that is hard, and th- there's no use for it. And I know very little about farming, but f- what I'm told is when you, when you take hard soil that hasn't been used for a long time, and you break it up and you turn it, you turn it over and the whole thing. That can be the most fertile place for the next season. And it's God saying, um, get out of your former patterns and let's, let's do something new. For it is time. Time for what? Time to seek the Lord. You've been seeking all these other things. It's, it's time to smell. Is God coming? Judah must plow. We're going to seek the Lord that he may come and what? Rain. That he may come and what? Rain. rain. I won't make you say it three times. That he may come and reign righteousness for other people. For the, just the smart ones, the nice people, somebody else, because I always lose. Right? It can't be me. I go through the drive through car wash and I get stuck halfway through and have to sit there for 20 minutes. That was yesterday. It may have happened to someone in front of the first row that you might know. Um, is that what he wants for us? He wants to rain down on us. And yet we look for our covering in the mountains. We look for stuff to fall on us from other places. Remember that previous verse I said, remember this? Cover us, fall on us, those two phrases. I made you say them out loud. And God says, no, no, no. Covering and raining down are coming down and, and coming around you, that should be God. I want to get a little weird for a second. You know, I tend... Because of who I am, they say, a church will look similar to its pastor. And I think to myself, oh, so sad for all of them. (laughs) That's not a statement about looking in the mirror in your image, but the way we function. And I tend to be cerebral, intellectual. I like logical arguments and progressions. I like to see patterns, and that's how I do stuff. Here's the weird thing I want to... I have a heart. What? No way. Yeah. Um, and there are some things about emotion that are really kind of mysterious, aren't they? Where does love come from? When you, when you feel attracted, how'd that happen? It's different for every person. When you dislike a flavor of food, how'd that happen? Um, you know, if you... Like how do all your senses function together? What you see, what you hear, what you smell, what you taste, and what you touch—those five things—it's kind of mysterious how those all those things work together, right? Um, Do you know that it's true in church? We have this very mysterious. Actually, we have many mysterious things in the church, in religion, in our pursuit and following of Christ. We have this thing called the Holy Spirit. Heard of him? And yet, I can't see him. And he translates for us when we talk to God and all this other stuff. He apparently leads us at times, protects us. How's that work? Um, no idea? Okay. What about the gospel? This whole Jesus died for us, came uh, all p- pure God, came down, became man on our behalf, tempted in every way and yet without sin, and then tortured, convicted, put on a cross. He says, Not my will, but your done, God, and um, then gives his life and says, hey, criminal, today you're going to be with me in paradise, and then, by the way, it's finished, and then three days later, here he is back, hey, you want to touch my hands, see my feet, hey, go get the boys, I want to tell them, I'm going to show up in a bunch of other people, and then, whew, how, how's that work? There's some pretty mysterious stuff out there in our religion that we can never answer. Walking on water? You know why they all think we're crazy. Because there is great mystery to a lot of what we do. Why is that? Can't we, just, can't we just stay in the camp of sense and logic and facts and progression and patterns and tangibles? I like tangibles, right? Right? Um, Measurables, like I know in business and in production, what are our measurables for this project? Can't we just have a bunch of those for God? He says, yeah, we can, we can do a bunch of that stuff. Your church should have a budget and you should make some plans and pick good chairs when you buy them. Don't pick the bad ones. I mean, we need this side. But there's a whole other side that's mystery. How's prayer work? You'll never know, but I want you to do it regularly. Here's a bunch of different things and ways to pray. And don't worry about the inner workings of that. I got it. Male and female. That's a mystery. Quit trying to figure it out. All this gender stuff, that's in my camp. I got it. I'll take care of it. You just keep living. and Oh, by the way, uh, learn how to love each other. Well, how do you do that? That's a mystery too. There's all this mysterious stuff. Uh, Half of the kingdom, maybe more. I don't know. Let's just say for sake of argument, right? Because I'm arguing because I'm back over in that camp, right? That there is a ton of what we do we will never understand. For even the wisest of thoughts of man are but foolishness to God. It's a verse. And he says, guys, I want to come down and I want to rain on you. I want to surround you, cover you, carry you, bless you. Bunch of stuff, like this mysterious thing of God's with them. Right? We, we finish every service. We'll finish today's service. The last thing you'll hear me say. Right? Right? Apparently in the youth group, they, that's become this thing. They all love it. They say it all the time now. They mock me in some of it. And then other times they use it with true meaning when they're leaving each other from an event. Like, go with him. What is that? Go with him. That's, is that a blessing? Yes. Is, is it an actual? Like he could go with you? Yeah. How's that work? I don't know. There's some things in our faith that we just need to take on. What was the F word I just used? faith? I can't explain it, but I know this. If my God wants me to live, then I'll live, but I'm not going to do what you say. You put me in the fire, or you put me in the lion's den, and we'll see what God does with that. How'd that work? Didn't we put three in there? How come there's four? Most of it don't make sense, and if you camp over here, if you've built a mansion, you know, 3,600 square feet with several nice restrooms and and bedrooms and you got the massive uh, island kitchen and granite countertops and crown mold, and this is where you live, you're missing out. Because when he says, hey, this is how this works and this is how this works, don't do that. Make sure you do that. If your question is, Why? How's that going to work? Show me the receipts or do the math for me. Which are the two phrases my kids have used on me their whole life. Oh, really? Prove it with math. My answer is no. Show me the receipts for that. No. Why? Because it's a mystery how a bunch of this works. And we need God to rain down on us. Look at the top of your outline. You know why this verse is the... One I put at the top of your outline. It's absolutely brilliant. We want God to come rain down on us. Destruction and, you know, when I'm ready, I will discipline them. Is that the rain we want? Smell the rain, folks. It's coming, either good or bad. Figure out which rain you want to be in. Absolutely love it. Verse 13, let's keep moving because I'm getting too excited. You have plowed iniquity. You have reaped injustice. You have eaten the fruit of lies because you have trusted in your own way and in the multitude of your warriors of what you think strength is, of what you think is right, of what land you think should be yours. And sometimes God wants us to stop and say, you know, there's a mystery to how old. Stop trying to figure out and be obedient because it's all mine. It's all mine. Therefore, the tumult of war shall rise among your people and all your fortresses shall be destroyed. You want to go with warriors? I'll take out your stuff. Right? And Shalman destroyed Beth Arbel as he did on the day Of battle, mothers were dashed in pieces with their children. It's a reference to that earlier, the great king, probably, and what happened with that calf. We're not going to get into that, but now you know why we didn't do um, chapter 10 last week on Mother's Day. (laughs) Mothers were dashed into pieces uh, with their children. What you do has an effect on other people. Horrid question in the very beginning of the book: Am I my brother's keeper? A murderer asked that question, and I love that God never answers it. Instead, He says, "What have you done? Thus it shall be done to you, O Bethel, house of the Lord, Bethel. This is what's going to happen to you, house of God, because of your great evil." The irony right there. Right, this Bethel was where it started at the dawn. At dawn, the king of Israel shall be utterly cut off. You want to follow? All right, you're cut off. You ever had to cut somebody off? No good. You ever been cut off? No good. Good news, if it happens on earth with another person, it's just one relationship, right? You turn from God, and you look for your reign in other places. You look for your covering. You look for your pillars. You build your own stuff, and you pursue your own thing. Get cut off. May the Lord bless the reading of his word, amen? All right, let's, let's cruise, because, ooh, wow, wow. You know, the only thing that's um, worse than me is two of me, <laughs> right? For those of you at home, I don't know if you can hear this, but we've we just all of a sudden got an echo. So everything I say is coming out of that speaker up there. <laughs> Please join me in attempting to ignore that speaker. Here we go. Number one, uh, when we're looking to smell the rain, God's rain of the rain we want to come, come down and cover us in righteousness, um, we got to understand a couple things. God wants you to see your true nature. Our true nature is we're a virtuous vine. We're a trained calf. We know how to thresh. We can accomplish all kinds of things, and that's what God intended for us. Amen? Are you valuable? On purpose. Can that be taken away? Your nature cannot be changed by anyone. No man, no woman, no government, no boss, no situation, no failure, no track record, no accomplishment can make you more valuable. Your true nature is God sent a son for you and Christ died for you. One of the things we love about Jesus is that he knew his true nature. He knew reality. And I love that Hosea tries to remind them a couple ways, a couple different places. No, you, you've got a great nature. Number two, um, if you've got a great nature, uh, remember this. God wants you to seek his provision in him. The problem that Israel is having is they were looking for provision, but they were looking for it in all the wrong places. Some would say they were looking for love in all the wrong places. Right? Um, Stop doing that. Quit building altars at different things that you think are going to pay off for you. Pursue the Lord. And then watch if, if He doesn't come and cover you, rain down on you, provide for you. Talk to Him instead of an idol. Chase Him. He says, look, I... I designed provision, I designed protection, so that I can do them for you. Look at me, chase me. Go back later and look at uh, verses 3, 10, and 12 for that, I think it's great. Uh, lastly, this, God wants to show you what true covering is. God wants you to know what his true intention for you is. It is not destruction. In fact, if we go back to the, when I'm ready, when I want, why the wait? (laughs) Because he needs more time? Everybody laugh a little. (laughs) Who needs more time? Time for what? To recognize him. I just got to fly to another country for the second time and do a wedding around not all Christian people for my two sisters. Previously, I did weddings for my two brothers. I just completed the quadfecta. (laughs) I did uh, David's, my very first wedding, my little brother. Later, I did Guy's. Three years ago, I did Ricky's in Malawi. Last Friday night, I did Mendy's, north of Cabo San Lucas. I don't think you know what that's like for me. I did all my siblings' weddings at their request. I never asked them, "Hey, can can I do your wedding, please?" I would please? No. They came to me. You know, there's four other people involved. It's not just the four siblings. There's actually eight people involved. They got to agree. Some of it's in different places, some of it with families that Still have questions about God. And I had some weird moments this last weekend thinking about God's covering, His true intention for what I get to experience. And how'd I get here to be able to stand in a church on a Sunday morning and talk about Him and read the Bible? By understanding my true nature, by looking for his provision, and then watching as his covering, as he rained down things on me. Now, I will say this, many of them I have not liked. Painful hard went a different way than I wanted to, and he had to jam me into the square peg in the round hole or whatever. And praise God for him for that. Because I've learned a few things along the way. Amen? Um, Be that. Be the one who knows your true nature. You start looking at his instruments and you take them at face value, whether they're mysterious or not. And then say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you for provision here. And then watch what he rains on you after that. It might take a while. Because he might still be things in you. He might still be working on you. that's I know, mean, it's a shock that you might have things that need working still. We all do. Amen. If you've never made that decision, whether you're watching online or you're sitting right here with me, that could be your prayer. Rain down on me God. I want Christ in my life, in my heart. I want the future reign of your blessing. I want to figure out how to follow you. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, reign on us. We know there's obedience involved in there in the equation, uh, Lord, and, and give us the, the wisdom, the strength, the desire to follow. And then Lord, I just I pray for your provision. And I thank you that for every person who follows you, you find unique ways specific to them that you rain down on them. Bring the rain, Lord, and let us smell it. And I pray, Lord, for anybody who's making that decision today for the first time, that they would connect with us, that we could help them. Thank you for this offering. May you use it, bless it, and may no one feel obligated to give. Praise in your son's name, amen. Get to work so you can smell the rain. And then welcome the rain. May you welcome the rain. Amen? Go with him.